Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by We Are One Composites and there's a discount code coming right up. We Are One Composites have become really well known for their amazing carbon wheels. I ride the Faction 29ers and I absolutely love the way they look and feel. The ride quality is an impressive balance between stiff and direct, but compliant and forgiving, unlike any other carbon wheels I've tried. We Are One don't like to stand still and they recently launched their first complete bike. It's called The Arrival and it's a 150mm 29er Enduro weapon. And you can tell that We Are One have put their usual level of attention to detail into making sure this thing is perfect. There's some lovely design touches, the level of the finish is incredible, just like it is with the wheels. So if you want to have a look, head over to weareonecomposites.com and check it out. Because of the crazy demand for bike stuff in general, and particularly for We Are One's wheels, we can't offer a discount on complete wheel sets right now. But the team at We Are One really wanted to do something for downtime listeners, so they are offering you 15% off rims only during the month of August. All you need to do is to use the code WESUPPLY2021 at the checkout over on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, all lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over on weareonecomposites.com. Head there now and check out the entire range. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode on downtimepodcast.com. After a huge amount of hard work by the team, we've got a print date scheduled for the first Downtime EP. I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to see this thing in the flesh. If you want to be in with a chance to get one of the limited edition issues at very special early bird pricing, then you've got literally a couple of days left to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and email address. We'll be launching those early bird sales really soon and we'll be getting in touch to everyone that signed up to the list. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's going to be a button there that says follow or subscribe. So give that a hit now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it's available. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe, where there's links to all the major platforms there to help you. All right, not only is it World Champs Week, but it's World Champs in Val de Sol, which is no doubt going to provide some incredible racing. I'm sitting down with Chris Kilmurray to chat about some of the things that make World Champs a unique event. We get Chris's thoughts on pre-practice, the different schedules, the additional support from riders' federations, and plenty more. So, without further ado, here's Chris Kilmurray. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. How's it going? Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm, it's going good. Doing well. Yeah. In Valdesoli, happy man. Yes, Valdesoli, world champs, exciting track, exciting event. Uh, very much looking forward to this one. What's been going on between Maribor and this? I've seen, uh, I've certainly seen you've been out with a few of the riders getting in a little bit of, uh, of relevant practice. Yeah. Representative practice, we'd call it. Um, I think that's pretty much what everyone's been doing. A, a lot of people just, well, the vast majority of people or everyone potentially, um, had to choose somewhere to go for the week between Maribor and, and this race and everyone would have want to have trained in some capacity so hit the gym you know ridden bikes and definitely got a few days productive downhill in on, on some demanding terrain so a lot of people just chose a spot so some people went towards schlabming some people came here early did a bit of sneaky practice which i'm not a big fan of um other people came the whole way back to morzine drove eight hours nine hours in the wrong direction uh, so it's just kind of a mixed bag i think yeah having a having a look on social media and stuff to see where people went but i think give or take everyone chose somewhere where they could ride some good down yeah and i'm guessing rough downhill is the order of the day getting ready for varasora it's it's got to be one of the roughest tracks on the circuit 
Yeah, and it's getting rougher kind of year in, year out. I suppose it's been it's been a, a blessing in disguise that we haven't been here since 2019 to race because every year we come back, there's less and less dirt. And <laughs> I said, we actually spoke about it this morning at breakfast and we were like, yeah, there's less dirt. The holes are big. There's lots of steps, lots of rock, lots of big square edge roots and stuff. But actually now you can see what's on the ground, whereas say 2016, 17, um, you couldn't, or even before that, you couldn't actually see. So a lot of people would have had just crazy crashes where the front wheel just got grabbed by something that they didn't see on the ground and just got pinged, you know? So it's it's still just as demanding, but in a slightly different way, I think. Yeah. And there's been some changes to the track. Yeah. Have you have you had the chance to have a look at, at much of that yet? No, we go for track walk later today. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I've seen pictures. I've seen helmet cams of, from people who've been here testing um i've heard a few little tidbits and rumors so it looks like it's just going to be on the surface first track walk it looks like it's going to be easier than previous years straighter um potential for less technicality less roots less rocks less quick changes of direction um quite groomed quite well looked after apparently um been really well you know filled in and, and groomed by the the course workers here but i think with the extra days practice on saturday uh, potentially a little bit of rain in the evenings it's just going to be absolutely destroyed by race day it will yeah, just gonna, be destroyed i was going to say it's pretty hot there at the moment i think but there's definitely forecast for a reasonable ra- amount of rain potentially friday saturday yeah yeah hard to know at the moment it's, it was supposed to rain yesterday and, and it was literally just this wispy clouds that kind of rolled in and rolled out of the valley classic valdesoli style so it's really tough to know yeah yeah and and i mean you mentioned that people have been going there and getting in some some pre-practice how how do you feel about that because i mean it's it's a bike park it's open it feels like they they i don't know whether they taped the track early or whether they put out a good an idea of where it was going to go but there's certainly you know there was a video what three weeks ago maybe of of uh troy and kai riding there how do you feel about all that sort of stuff um yeah, this, this place in particular, the, the poles were out months ago. So the poles, the course markers, because obviously the bike park's super wide and the World Cup track has used variations for years. So it's in spots, it's 10, 15 meters wide. So the poles are out. So obviously you don't know for sure if that's what they're going to use, but, you know, guys came and assumed. Um, and personally, I think it's, I think it's unfair there's a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to do it, whether it's budgetary, whether it's travel. So I think it is an unfair advantage to a point. And as a result, I think uh, UCI uh, and the elite team should, should should legislate for it. It should be banned from a certain point onwards. How you do that, though, like you said, it's, it's a bike park. It's open all year. It's open all summer long. How you legislate for it, I just don't know. You know, But I think, yeah, like a gentleman's agreement isn't going to work anymore. I think the, the racing's too tight. There's too much to win and lose. So, yeah, strange one, huh? It is a strange yeah. one. Per- personally, I think it should be banned from a, a particular period. One one month out from race from race week, you know, yeah. just just ban it. That's but fair. how you legislate for it, how you enforce it, it's next to impossible. Yeah, is there <clears throat> is the benefit more in kind of getting the bike set up quickly rather than the track? Because, like you say, it doesn't take much in a little taping change or you know, maybe not quite using the poles that were put out for the track to actually be quite different, but the underlying sort of terrain doesn't change. Yeah, I think bike setup definitely helps not being just 
the speed with which you get yourself comfortable in the bike setup. Because you've got like World Champs is slightly different. You've got the extra day on Saturday after qualifying Friday. But for a World Cup, you know, you've got three days, you know, practice, qualities, finals, just bang, bang, bang. So you can find yourself in the back foot if for whatever reason, if the terrain is super demanding or very different to what you're used to, or if you've never been to a venue before. Um, so bike setup is definitely crucial, but also just getting a feel for the dirt, getting a feel for the terrain, feeling how grippy the rocks are, how the dirt breaks, how the hill and the terrain changes as you go down. So there's just there's just a whole host of general small advantages across the board from having ri- ridden there, you know. If you compare it like you ride with a friend who's faster, but you're riding your local and he or she's never been there before, you'll, you'll always be you know, closer to them or a step above for, for a period of time because you know the breaking points, because you know how the dirt feels, because you know how the conditions will make the track look or feel. So there is, there's, there's a whole host of little advantages from, from coming to pre-practice, you know? Yeah. And I think yeah. now more than ever, like when we, when we raced here back to back, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, back to back, people probably didn't want to come to pre-practice because it's such a demanding kind of place. People are just like, well, I was, I was there, you know, 11 months ago, nine months ago, whatever it was. Uh, but now with, with the two year gap almost between 2019 and this race, um, I think the pre-practice thing is more talked about, more seen, more, yeah, interesting one. Yeah. And I mean, bike setup wise, is it going to be quite different to how bikes are being set up for Maribor? Yeah, there's, de- there's definitely more, uh, there's steeper sections for sure. So potentially a more rearward bias in your setup. Um, there's some bigger hits, bigger impacts, bigger G-outs. Uh, there's man-made rock gardens. There's more berms now. So there's some elements that are potentially quite similar to Maribor. And then there's, there's the, the little steep sections and, and the big impacts and the successive big impacts are quite different to Maribor. Maribor was quite chattery. The dust made things very unpredictable. Uh, the bike park sections required a lot, I suppose, low-speed support in the suspension and required a lot of very early, good early braking, good bike riding. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I think bi- bike setup itself will actually you know, bring the track to you. Whereas in Maribor, you had to go to the track type thing. Go on, explain that a little bit more. Like, I can't quite get my head around that. I think, you know, Maribor rewarded good bike riding, good okay. tactics, good strategy, really good bike riding. I think maybe the margins in terms of bike setup weren't as large. Whereas here, tire choice, uh, suspension setup will just make, will bring the confidence for free. And that allows you to do a better job with jelly okay. the track. So yeah, I think, I think if you're further away from what should be your sweet spot setup for Val de Soli, you're, you're in big trouble in terms of confidence and happiness because it's such a demanding hill. You know? Okay, so even more advantage to riders and teams that are in a good place, kind of you know, good at getting setups quickly, good at interpreting data, that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The guys who you're, the guys who are using data acquisition, the the teams who've been here testing and have you know what they think is their base setup for practice day one here um they're going to go track walk this afternoon and they're just going to go yes or no from from their testing setup if they were here for pre-practice uh, and then the, the other the other teams and riders that you know are like you say quick are in a good place with their bike anyway have good experience from this venue previously and just generally good experience from riding and testing at demanding tracks yeah. they'll just get up to speed quicker you know yeah yeah but we, do have the, we do have the extra day so i think sunday anything can happen yeah, I saw some some imagery on uh, on Vital of of uh, Loris's like he had seven shocks sort of ready to go, all different tunes and stuff. And I guess that's more 
to cover the season. It's not necessarily that he's going to be choosing from seven different shocks this this race. Is that is that fair? That's 100% fair because he's going to get about... He'll only have probably nine runs done by Saturday afternoon, maybe 10 maximum. Yeah. And people are going to ma- manage practice from the physicality element because the impacts are just so successive here. So I think, yeah, he'd, he'd be testing a shocker run and he'd only have them all tested by Saturday probably and then he'd be <laughs> confused. So yeah, definitely he's shocked for the season. But I could be wrong. Loris, Loris is a special character, so I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm guessing most people will have a fairly good feel for where they want to, at least where they want to start and they're not going to be too far away from the get-go right yeah no i think everyone will be yeah they'll 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 have notes made from previous trips here obviously a lot of riders have different bikes and different suspensions since then but uh, i think yeah give or take you're going to try and build yourself up to a a very supportive setup you're going to build yourself up to something that allows you to hit the holes fast yeah yeah Yeah. you mentioned different formats so there is more practice at this event there is a qualifying but it doesn't really matter i guess in a way Um, well it does it does matter since 2019 uh, okay. qualifying qualifying is qualifying at world champs is top 80 so basically what we've got at world champs now since 2019 is the old world cup schedule the old world cup format basically with top 80 qualify in uh in the men's top 20 in the women's top whatever in the juniors so yeah yeah you actually have to qualify seeding for qualifying is based off of uci ranking protected status for finals on sunday is based off world cup ranking okay so there's, there's lots of little little oddities there's a special rule book for world champs separate to the normal rule book so if no one's seen it go in for a look i know a lot of teams and riders here have never seen it so (laughs) but with that comes more practice but i guess that comes more exposure and more risk like over the more time you spend on a track like that the the higher the chance of having a reasonable size accident yeah how how do do riders manage that well a lot of riders are very used to being race ready after qualifying give or take you know it's like Letting, letting the, the work, the speed build, the emotions kind of peak slightly for qualifying. And then all the car, some of the cards are laid out after qualifying. So you're like, oh, I'm fast here. I'm slow here. This rider did this. This is what I need to do tomorrow morning. I've got two runs. I'm going to go racing tomorrow afternoon. Whereas here we've got qualifying and then we've got a day where you get two or three runs in in a couple hours practice on Saturday. And then you have to wait again, just caged animal again before sunday and then you got your 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 hour again sunday morning to go do your two runs if you wish so yeah there's there's some strategic things to manage uh there's more risk to manage there's more fatigue to manage there's just loads of little elements and a lot of people just don't like it a lot of people just don't like having the extra day which kind of feels like nothing you know yeah yeah the whole process of warm-up and nutrition and cool downs and all that sort of stuff again so i think it's just a, a matter of making a plan making it productive uh, being smart with how many runs you do, being smart with building your speed steadily and using Saturday productively, whether it's to try kind of an off-the-wall setup with the bike just to understand whether it's to work in a specific sector or section of the track based off qualifying. I think, yeah, it should be pretty individual. And the sport's getting more and more professional now, so I think everyone's going to everyone's gonna do a good job managing it, whether they like it or not, it's a different, different question. <laughs> yeah, and the infrastructure around the riders is different, right? So each of, each nation varies in what it brings along um, and what it can add to the riders so i guess for some teams maybe it doesn't really make much difference they work within their team infrastructure and they don't tap into what the nationality brings but there are i mean the french i guess are are pretty well known for bringing a lot of staff trackside um, and there's you know every every nation's doing it differently but 
there's some benefits to be had there, I guess, especially in these the, sort of the modern times where that trackside analysis can be super powerful. Yeah, just like um, too much information kills the information is, what, is the saying that comes to mind. And yeah, it's a funny one because certain certain federations, certain nations um, really get involved. Like you said, the French Federation, the British uh, Federation, the British Cycling do have two or three people trackside. Um, so some of the bigger nations like that have you know have a, an evening analysis if the riders want to want to take part, uh, and then s- some of the federations do strange things where like for example the Spanish federation the two elite male downhillers well the whole team that um, it's a pretty small team for for Spain downhill but uh, they have to stay at the Spanish accommodation they're not allowed to stay with their their trade teams for example so th- there is teams that do that you know if you're I think Swiss cycling might be the same. So there's oddities like that where all of a sudden you're not in your environment just for the sake of the Federation's bureaucracy or whatever it is. Um, And it it makes sense to a point because there's obviously a whole lot of probably legal and and liability insurance considerations. Um, But then some of the the bigger teams or bigger riders just keep things as close to a World Cup as possible. But yeah, for sure, the the French Federation will have a, a big mix of their normal kind of analysis staff who help out at the junior level. Uh, would mix a match, say, between enduro, cross-country, downhill. And then ex-riders or current riders who aren't on the team uh, will be trackside as well. And I know from memory in, in Liu Gang, I think the French Federation had eight cameras during practice. Wow. Eight cameras. But with Liu Gang push game to shove, it was down to execution on the day. Yeah. So it, ha- it had very, not that it had very little to do with lines, but it had a lot less to do with lines than people thought. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think it could just be, like I said, too much info kills the info. So way too much overload of just unnecessary analysis and having to be in place A at 8 p.m. and place B at 8.45 p.m. and then back to your team for dinner and then off to bed. And then there's all these strange little changes and oddities that come with the national federations and world championships and jerseys and that sort of thing. So, but I think between COVID, between having to stay, we don't have to stay in bubbles for this race, but there's obviously still people are just trying to limit mingling and mixing. Mm-hmm. Um, so between COVID restrictions and the general professionalism and, the, and the, the systems in place at World Cups, I think there's going to be a bit less and less of getting involved with the federations when possible. Yeah. And I guess it just comes down to the fact that it's different, right? Athletes have their process. They're used to it. They're confident in it, hopefully, depending on where they're at. And then all of a sudden they're almost sort of forced to make some changes to it. And it, I guess this is where adaptability comes in and that ability to just sort of be able to go with the flow a little bit as it's a, such a different event, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, if, for example, you're forced to to deal with the National Federation in terms of analysis or logistics or processes or anything for this race, I think if, if a, a rider or a team is super confident and, and grounded in their own processes for their World Cup processes, then, you know, being adaptable and just kind of nodding along or taking what you can from, from the extra analysis or the extra information, take what you can from it and just leave it at that, you know. that's yeah. That would be how I'd approach it if, if a rider I coached was, was dealing with the extra time and extra pressure created from the national federation systems being lumped on top of them for this for this race you know yeah so just and I, take what you take what you can and run <laughs> yeah but I, and I guess it's not necessarily with people that you know and trust right like with your team you've built uh, a rapport you know each other you you trust the feedback that's being brought to you if, if someone says this line's quicker <laughs> you should look at it they know you you trust them that works but when it's someone that maybe they're not used to interacting with and they're being told that 
they're slower than rider X through a certain section or whatever, or, or maybe even just that the, the person giving the information doesn't know how to deal with that rider at that point in a race week, you know, that the tactfulness of maybe isn't there, whatever. There's yeah, got to yeah, be some, absolutely. some risk with that. There's, there's most certainly some risk. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, certain riders will have the emotional strength and intelligence and the general character to just kind of brush it off. Other riders will definitely not to let it get to them or they'll have to expend a lot of energy dealing with the extra information. And I was thinking back to an example, I think Lenzer Hyde at 2018 world champs and the French Federation were, you know, pushing big like they always do with analysis and stuff. And obviously they had Loris, Amory, uh, Bruni on the team. And all of a sudden, those guys, like those guys, had never share information. But all of a sudden, they have to share information because they're on the French team. And there was there was an outside inside question, big long outside berm versus a heavy break inside inside about three quarters around the track. And they got they got some of the riders through helmet cams and compared the helmet cams, and it turned out that the, the big long berm was a couple of tenths faster consistently. And that was kind of an advantage that one of the teams or one of the riders could have figured out for themselves pretty easily, but all of a sudden then all of the main contenders for the medal had the same information. So it almost becomes null and void, you know, it's like, <laughs> but, but then it gets to the scenario where you're like, Oh, well, Amory likes the outside. So I'm going to do the inside just to be different. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's, it's an ego sport. It's a confidence sport, not, not, not ego in terms of a negative connotation, but it's a confidence sport no matter what, you know, confidence is the number one currency. Yeah. So I think if you can use any of the analysis, any of the extra info, any of the extra baggage that the national federations bring to increase your confidence, then you're going in the right direction. If it knocks your confidence, it's going in the wrong direction. That's probably the easiest way to look at it. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Let's talk a little bit about pressure because in some ways, world champs adds pressure, right? It's a one-off event. Everybody would love those stripes. You've got all this fancy kit that your sponsors have sorted out with you. Often a lot of the teams uh like the sponsors are present maybe some of the higher up management from some of the the sponsors are there that can all bring pressure but in a way it's not part of a series it's a one-off people feel like they can roll the dice a little bit more and and kind of almost let loose a bit how do you feel about that sort of pressure equation does it vary from rider to rider how they feel in this week yeah, it definitely varies from rider to rider. I think I think certain riders might may feel like you know past winners like Loic Bruni, who's had quite a few under his belt, will will probably feel pressure because he's all, there's a bit of expectation attached to it. Uh, other riders might feel like they're getting later in their careers and they've never won it, or they've only won one, or they've won a junior, never an elite. So that that adds pressure. But really, I think if you grab a bit of perspective, you'll riders teams everyone should realize that it, it's all to play for it's all it's there's no pressure because it is just that one run you know even the defending champions aren't defending champions and that's exactly what i'll say to reese this week as his coach reese reese and cami balanche and and the juniors the juniors are slightly different but the, the elites especially they, they don't defend their jersey here because you don't wear it you wear your national federation kit for finals you don't wear the rainbow stripes because you're no longer world champ. There's nothing yeah. to defend. You can, only, you can only win it again. You can't defend it. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I think if you grab a bit of perspective, stand back and forget the VIP bullshit and forget the federation bullshit. <laughs> and actually, it's, it's, it's just nothing but opportunity. Simple as that. Yeah. And sometimes we have this quite near the end of the season where there's maybe one race left in the, in the World Cup series and the World Cup's not decided and, and some riders have to make that decision about, right, will I go in? Will I take any additional risk or um, is it all to play for? That's probably not the case now, do you think? I mean, we've got three races left in the World Cup series and 
yeah do you, do you think there's anyone that's going to be like being cautious as a result i can't i can't see it personally no i think there's still so much to play for in the world cup series especially with you know the final race and snowshoe being the full 250 points for finals um so i don't see a whole pile of yeah i don't even think it's going to come into people's heads i think it's it's a full mid-season race where risk is just part and parcel of the job and you're just going to have to go on Thibaut de Prella may be the only exception because he does have such a healthy lead in, in his category but beyond that like I think everyone's just the risk is yeah just accepted 100% accepted just go for it you know yeah yeah go for it. so any key sections on this track I mean you talked about like the lower splits at Maribor that you, you figured were going to be key and they certainly were in the race and we saw that pan out is there anything here that's that's fundamental to putting down a good run um yeah most certainly uh top top to bottom like like always top to bottom like always but that transition into the first woods is always important so you transition from the open bike park high speed and then it goes slightly uphill and then it goes through this dead straight gnarly rock bed root bed and then a heavy break uh into your more technical terrain which is going to be less technical than ever before this year we're going to pull left early stay high i think from the helmet cams i've seen anyway and, and cut across there so that that's to get your run started on the right foot, that's super important. Um, and then it's when we get further down, it gets slightly steeper in sections. That's where they've done man-made rock gardens this year. Uh, and then it gets tighter, more technical for, for the exit of the woods, just above the exit of the woods, heading towards the finish line. So that's going to be those two sections. So say sectors, sectors three, sectors four, they're going to be key as always. That's kind of where, where the race is. The race has been won and lost a couple of times in sector three before. And then obviously Tani won the race in 2018 uh, in the last sector on the mm-hmm. run to the finish line. Beat, you know, slowly chipped away at, at Rachel's advantage in, in sector four and then just dominated her in, uh, with the tuck and the sprint to the line. So I think there's, you know, we've spoken about some of the riders I coached already, but that last run to the finish line will definitely, it's going to slot a few places. If, if you've got four or five riders in the same, in the same, you know, half a second coming out of the woods, I think you can jump from, from 10th to 5th or 5th to 1st in there if, if it's going to be that tight you know is that and is that coming down to like f- how fit the rider is or is there an element well i mean clearly there's an element of skill but like what's the balance there do you think i think the the, the fitness element will come in, in in sectors three and four that's where a rider that feels confident that they'll get to the finish line in good shape no matter what won't, won't let up won't won't try any strategic back off a little bit here because backing off in sectors three or four the real rough gnarly stuff in the middle in the middle portion of the track is just it's just not an option it's just not really you may you make winning or doing your best a lot whole lot more difficult by doing that so it's the riders that are just happy to take the fatigue plow the holes and then just be confident that they're going to smash it to the line that they're they're the ones that are are going to do their best i think yeah so it, it is it is a fitness element but it's not a clear physiological or rider b puts out this many more watts or rider b has this much more fitness in terms of a metric yeah it's it's the perception of physicality the perception of effort the perception of risk that changes as you go down the track and just not not letting it not letting it skew your ability to just go all out yeah yeah and any like make or break features on this track i mean like the the road gap on leisure i guess was a big one that sort of divided the field to some extent and it was the B line was a lot longer is there are there any things like that on this track uh, off the top of my head no I've not seen it yet 
Um, but I don't think so. I think I think how people execute the rock gardens is going to be uh, is going to be super important. These man-made sections, that whole that whole section above the rock gardens where they've done these man-made rock gardens, and above that's rocky and normally taped super wide, so there's lots of line choice. So that's going to separate people. But it's not a clear night and day Leger road cap scenario where where the better females, for example, where Tani and Miriam made up nine seconds to ten seconds on almost the whole field, you know. Yeah. That's just not that's just not that that's just not here for now. Okay. And and I think if there if there is a gnarly push pull double triple gapatron, I think you know, you're looking at forty men, thirty-five men that are gonna do it. Yeah. But by by the time we get to Sunday, there's half of the male field will do most of the gnarly gaps. So yeah. then the 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 room for these huge features that really separate people just isn't there. It's different that's, in the ladies' field for sure, but yeah. in the men's field it's not there yet. I was going to say that's probably tenths rather than ten seconds, though, isn't it? Some of those like the gap type stuff is you can carry a bit more speed, but it's not night and day different. Yeah, like like the triple in Maribor in in twenty twenty, it was it was slicker. The conditions were harder. The triple wasn't cut in. We had limited practice, so not many guys did that that famous triple over the roots. Whereas this year we saw drier conditions. Everyone knew it was there. Everyone had an idea as to what the speed was coming in. So from second practice run, three quarters of the field had it done. You know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So, who does Valdesol suit then, in your in your view, like both in the in, in the women's and the men's? I mean, Miriam Nicole's won there, Marine's won there, Tani's won there, Camille was third in twenty nineteen. Like all those all those top sort of names, I guess that you would expect have have had some level of success on this track. It's quite varied yeah. in the women's field. Ladies' field is super varied, and they've all got different strengths. Uh, Miriam got her first ever World Cup win here back in 2013 I think it was way way back when the track was the real Black Snake or people remember the low me gnarly one um, Tani's had two victories here uh, more than anyone else in the field at the moment I think or maybe Miriam's got the same uh, Marion had a big win here in 2019 a big a big big win over the other girls uh, but 2019 was a bit of a funny year um, and then the, the, the ladies who are creeping up and, you know, Cami Ballon has kind of established herself now as a top three girl without a shadow of a doubt. Monica Harasnik had a great year here in 2018. Um, got super close to Rachel and Tane, won qualifying that year in, in the rain. So I think it's it's definitely going to be kind of a roller coaster ride when you watch the splits even come Sunday. I don't think the, the cards are going to be fully laid out. Cami Ballon should probably do super well in, in sectors three and four steeper more technical stuff she's got long levers she does a fantastic job of making the most of her body shape and how the bike functions um so she, she'll really come into her own there uh, top and bottom sections there's a couple of riders i know will definitely do extremely well so yeah ladies feel is i'm excited i'm excited to get to work on that side of things the analysis and the build, helping tanya build a racer on that side of things and i'm just excited to see how how everyone goes you know uh, and then on, on the men's field it's like so many riders can do well for different reasons. Larry Green has done super well here in the past, just pinballed his way down the hill, you know, made the most of being lighter, being able to break late or being able to break where he wanted because he's so much lighter than some of the other riders. Thibaut de is big, a big threat now anywhere we go. Angel Suarez has kind of got the bike and got everything he needs for this sort of place. There's just a list of riders. There's, there's the guys on Trek. There's there's Reese coming in as last year's world champion. There's Loic Bruni who just hasn't, lived up to his own expectations to date this year and he said that himself multiple times in interviews so he'll he will literally be doing everything he can all week long to win this race there's the french riders that people now know like benoit coulange that people didn't really know in the past who i, I think coulange could have been this not easily but 
it, it, it'll look easy come Sunday. So mm-hmm. like I'd have to get a start list beside me here to just go through the amount of potential top dogs. Lars Vergier coming in off his, his win in a, his casual win in Maribor, it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, looking back through some of the more recent years there, Laurie Green and Loic Bruni and Loris Verger are the names that, that stand out. Yeah. And they're, you know, consistently top three or po- at least podium riders. Laurie's definitely building form through this season. Loris is clearly in a good place. Loic, you can never write off, even if he's not quite where we'd normally expect so far this year. He's a, he's a pretty determined character. But then also, I mean, Danny Hart's won here before, likes this track. He's sort of, again, been sort of quietly bubbling away. But also I noticed Brooke McDonald's had a, had a couple of top tens here and he's definitely coming back onto what I think people would expect to see. You know, his his full race pace seems to be back. And then, yeah, Thibaut de Prella versus Val de Sau is a battle that, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to because we've had some pretty gnarly worlds runs there in the past, and if anyone can can top some of that stuff, it's Tebow, right? Yeah, big time. I think that that bike they're on definitely has the room, the adaptability to to make life easier for a guy like Tebow who's going to be super aggressive. So you know, the, the bike might just they may be able to modify and, and adapt the bike to make it as as safer as as have as much traction as he needs to ride like he wants to ride. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see see how he does. Um, Amory Pierron's here. I don't think he's he's at, in race fitness. He's only had a few days of road cycling under his belt, but he he won here in twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen, and he he chipped away at the whole way down. So there's such a list of 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 guys and girls who can who can smash it. I think if I was if I was a fan watching this one at home or trackside, I would be extremely excited. And you mentioned Brooke and Brooks. In Maribor, you know, Brooke had a, a real solid top 10, couple of top sectors. And visually on television, he looked amazing. He was like, it was a better version of the old Brooke, arguably. But he, he was, his riding style, similar to Max Hartenstern, uh, it was just too aggressive for sector for sector four and five, just hit things too hard, lost too much speed, didn't carry enough speed. And his, his sector time showed that. So, whereas I think we've got the gradient in spots here in Val Soli, and just how the tracks laid out, that Brooke could definitely find himself creeping towards a medal for sure yeah yeah and uh so is amory racing do we know yeah amory's racing yeah i spoke to him last night actually just awesome. by coincidence we were riding back to our hotels it was good to have a chat to him I haven't seen the guy in a while and yeah he's he's, he's gonna try gonna try Fantastic. said he can't fall off so that's uh <laughs> it's, just, it's not an easy way to approach a week like this but he, he's an amazing athlete and he's uh he's an amazing racer so anything's possible yeah, and then I think Nina Hoffman's back as well, right? I've seen pictures of her with a, a freshly painted V10 ready to go. So that's yeah, another... I saw I saw Nina's mechanic in the Fox pits, and I saw Nina pedaling around yesterday. So yeah, it looks like she's going to give it a go. It's it's pretty tight for a separated shoulder four weeks, and all the other injuries she picked up in Leger and the races before. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know exactly what level of health and fitness she's at, but she's here. Yeah, a few big riders missing. Aaron Gwynn not here, which is a real shame. He's uh, it's a race that's never quite gone his way and this year doesn't even get to start, which is a shame. Eddie Masters out with a, I think he had shoulder surgery earlier in the week. Sounded pretty rough. Wins not there with a, I think a hand injury. And then there's a couple of riders who are there, I think, but were injured. I don't know if you've got any updates, but Greg Williamson had hurt his ankle, hadn't he? But he appears to be be out and hoping to race. Have you heard much? Yeah, 
the British team is the, the British team is definitely the walking wounded. It looks like. Yeah, I know. There's, there's definitely a few a few people carrying injuries. Um, I spoke to Greg yesterday, Greg Williams. I used to, I used to coach Greg, and he said that the ankle's usable, serviceable. So he's just going to manage it and see what he can do. You know. Yeah, and Bernard as well. I think he had a had a hand injury. I don't know if he's planning on starting. Yeah, I, I have no ideas either. I know Jamie Edmondson gets here. He him and Phil Atwell are the reserves for the British team. So okay. they're the substitute rider. So Jamie is coming here for the the off chance that he, he may get to race, and he's also just going to use it for some bike time to ride the other tracks in the area. Yeah, interesting. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a wild week. So track walk later on this morning. Is it a particularly important track walk? This one, do you think? Yeah, I think I think track walk's always important, no, ma- no matter what. I think it's it's good to see where you, where you are. You know, people approach it so differently, um, depending on who they are. And this is a conversation we did have again yesterday with with all the guys in FMD as to how how they've approached track walk throughout the season up to this point and what they do and don't like about certain elements we tried to introduce. And so we just talked about the individualization of making the most of it t- today. You know, uh, I think I think it is super important. It's super important in a track this gnarly with this many holes. And now a couple of blind entries to rock gardens and blind entries from previous years. It's super important to just know what's on the other side of a blind entry, to know if you can roll a feature, if you can plonk off a feature. You know, previous years there has been silly first or second run crashes where people have broken hands or thumbs or whatever else just just by being offline and getting pinged or popped. So I, I think from a safety element, track walk super important. Also for, for riders and staff to give feedback to the UCI about padding and taping and poles and that sort of stuff. It's super important. So I think, yeah, just it's just another piece of the puzzle that you need to start the week on the right foot. Yeah, and even busier than a regular track walk. I mean, there's more team staff from the from the nationalities. There's more riders, is there as well? <laughs> um, there's, I don't think there's more riders at the moment. And you're looking at the entry list, it's kind of similar to a, a busy World Cup. But yeah, at World Cups, normally we have elite team track walk and then normal track walk. So there's two separated ones just to help the congestion on track. Um, at this race, we don't have that. It starts at midday, finishes at 3 p.m. National federations, media, teams, riders, extra juniors for sure. More juniors than you have at a World Cup. Yeah. Uh, national federations from all around the world will send juniors. Uh, so it can be absolute carnage to actually get a look at the track. I think with COVID now, we're going to get a whole lot less riders from the developing kind of nations, let's say, the, the developing cycling nations, let's call them. Yeah. You know, so Central Asia, Asia, Southeast Asia, those sorts of nations will probably end up set in Africa and will send a lot less riders because of COVID. Okay. So we, we will have probably less bodies, more more like a World Cup. But having said that, you got three-hour window to do it and sometimes you can get quite unlucky and you're just staring at feet for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it easy to see the track, right? No, definitely. Yeah, you have to be patient, and I think certain times you need to bring snacks and maybe a flask of coffee and just sit there in the bush for a half hour if needed. You know. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, we should uh, we should let you get together with the team, get up on the hill. Thanks as always for taking some time out to chat and uh, help us get ready for what is no doubt going to be an exciting week of riding and weekend of racing. And uh, yeah, all the best for for you and your riders. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to work for this one. I, I miss Maribor, which is the first World Cup I've missed in since 2015. So I'm super excited to um, to get to work for this one and just kind of see what we can achieve. Yeah, and I think everyone is as well. I think it's there's we're back racing, but there actually hasn't been that many opportunities the last 18 months or so with with all things COVID. You know, some riders like some of the European riders have loads of races under their belt. Some of the other riders just this is only the sixth or seventh race they've done in two years. So I think everyone's just chomping at the bit to get out there and smash it, you know. Sweet. Let's, uh, yeah, see what happens and see who gets the stripes at the end of the weekend. 
Exactly. Yeah, you've got to wear that beautiful jersey for a year that your sponsors hate. <laughs> nice one. Cheers, Chris. All right. Thank you. Have a good week. All right. That's it for this episode with Chris. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to We Are One Composites for supporting this episode of the show. Downtime listeners get 15% off We Are One rims for the month of August using the code WESUPPLY2021 over at the checkout on weareonecomposites.com. That's WESUPPLY, lowercase, all one word, followed by the number 2021 over at weareonecomposites.com. While you're there, you can also check out their incredible new bike, The Arrival. If you want to own one of the very limited editions of the first issue of Downtime EP at special early bird pricing, then head over now to downtimepodcast.com forward slash EP and leave us your name and your email address. And then in the next couple of days, we'll be in touch to give you all the information that you need. We're super close to going to print, so it's really not going to be long now. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you want to represent the show, you can get your hands on our full range of merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all proceeds going to help improve the podcast. If you're still listening and you've got a bit of time, there's a couple of things you can do to help out. First off, please tell your rider mates about the podcast and spread the word because the more people who listen, the easier it is for me to keep this thing going. Share the episodes on your social media. It's a great way to spread the word and it really helps get some buzz going around the episodes too. And if you fancy it, then a review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way too. All right, there's a new episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. <laughs>